Welcome to the LA Realtor Podcast. I'm Paul with Great Builds. And I'm Sarah with Glen Oaks Escrow. And we're getting to know the industry one conversation at a time. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. What's up with your pink nail? The pink nail. So my daughter said she wanted to paint my nails. So I gave her the opportunity to paint one nail, but it's, it was very, very pink. Right. But I, I kind of enjoyed it and I kind of enjoyed it for one simple reason is because I get to kind of pick at it. You like picking the polish off. Yeah. It looks like you have a pink French tipped nail. Thank you. The ladies out there will understand that. Thank you. That lingo. I I, I appreciate (laughs) that. Very fun. That's a good dad. That's a good dad right there. I appreciate the compliment. Well, I I thought she was going to do like black, but she decided on pink. (laughs) Well, you know. So there's that. How emo of you. Well, today we have a really great guest, Will Tiao. He is a longtime friend and client of mine. I've known him for many, many years. We've gone to comedy shows and all sorts of fun stuff together. He is the director of uh, commercial real estate at The Collective Realty. And he's the co-owner of Tiao Properties that does property management. He also runs a meetup group for multifamily in the Los Angeles area. And we're so excited to have him on to talk to us today. Will Tiao, everybody. Thanks for having me on. I can relate to the, uh, the fingernail thing. I have two daughters. And uh, <laughs> this weekend, they were into fake nails. So I got to experience oh. that a little bit. Ooh. How many did you have on? Uh, <laughs> one purple and one pink. Yes. <laughs> oh, I am. I'm so not you alone. You are so this. not alone. Yeah. It's a girl dad yes, thing. Definitely. I love it. Fun. I don't think my dad ever let us paint his nails, but it was a different time. <laughs> different time. It was a different, different time. generation. But now he paints his own. <laughs> now he paints his own nails. Exactly. So weird. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're so excited to talk to you. You mentioned something to us a little earlier before we got on, which I think is just such a valuable thing to be talking about right now, which is what's happening in the uh, leasing market. So tell us what you're seeing. Yeah. So so at, as you just mentioned, we have a couple of different lines of business. So my primary business is I'm a commercial broker. I mostly focus on the sales and purchase of multifamily properties. And we also have a property management side where we manage several hundred units throughout the greater Los Angeles area. And I think as most people are seeing, the market's kind of going through a major shift right now because, you know, we've never seen interest rates rise as quickly as they have, as they have in the last six to eight months. Uh, that's yeah. obviously affected the market and it's definitely affected the multifamily market. I can say that for a fact. So as the market still is adjusting to that new equilibrium, a lot of people are choosing rather than to sell to hold onto their properties and to instead lease them out and are seeking property management. So our management side has just blown up. We're getting constantly tons of calls. I'm doing presentations left and right. Um, I have a very popular one right now called Managing investment real estate assets for aging adults because we're doing having seen this shift, <laughs> this generational shift right now. We're like the baby yeah. boomers who are now in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who've been managing their own properties themselves. And now we're getting calls from the kids and the kids are from 30 to 60 plus. And um, they're calling us and they're like, hey, mom and dad have this like eightplex. They have this mixed use <laughs> property, whatever it is. And we kind of know they've been managed it themselves. And 
we're in Utah or we're in Washington State or we're in Washington, D.C. And oh, we don't really have time to deal with this. So please help us. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's often <laughs> the calls that we're getting nowadays. Right. Is leasing still strong? I mean, transactions are lower, obviously. Like like you mentioned, people are just holding on. But can you still, is leasing strong or rental rates strong? Rental rates are very strong. Yes. So, I mean, just as we know, just from the market, there's been a dearth of, how shall I say, workforce, middle-class housing for a long time. And this is ongoing now in the greater Los Angeles area. So vacancy rates are still very, very low. So generally speaking, when we put a unit out for lease, as long as it's priced correctly, it usually leases very, very quickly. And oftentimes with multiple people applying for that apartment. So, and that that's going to be ongoing for a while. You know, I know a lot of people have said, well, so many people have left, you know, LA's become so expensive. That's all true. Right. There's no doubt that people have left and and uh, housing is expensive, but we are still the second largest metro market in the country. We still have a huge mm-hmm. and growing economy and there's a everybody needs housing. Bottom line, everybody needs to live somewhere. Right. So at the end of the day, like whenever people talk to me about multifamily and, and there's obviously a lot of challenges in the multifamily market. But at the end of the day, it's about are people going to rent uh, use your product. And in this case, your if your product is a multifamily property, almost the inevitable answer is yes, right? You will have people who want right. to rent your property and you will generally get a very good return on it. No, that's interesting. So hopefully you'll be able to comment on this, Will, but there's the eviction ordinance in LA is changing, but it's not changing drastically. I know the city council is about to pass a new ordinance, which will change eviction criteria, but essentially not by that much. And, and I, I have a concern here. Uh, maybe you can comment on it. It seems like if someone owns, let's say a single family property in this case, and they have a tenant, they want to sell the home and they want to ask the tenant to leave because they want to sell the home. Maybe they have older parents and they inherited or whatever. Our new eviction moratorium will not allow them to remove the tenant for other, something other than, let's say, non-payment or breach or whatever. So what's going to happen? We're going to have all these investment single family home properties that in theory, no one will want to buy because they all, they all come with a tenant in them. How do you see this playing out? That's an excellent question, Paul. And I don't think anybody has the answers to that right now. I was literally just before I met with you, I was at a networking group and there was a landlord tenant lawyer there, you know, basically an eviction lawyer I hadn't seen for a while. And we were just discussing this exact issue, what you're talking about. And I mean, this is a guy, his job is to understand all the rules and regulations regarding landlord-tenant law, eviction law. And even he was like, I'm having problems, (laughs) like staying up because (laughs) literally like the, the regulations are changing so rapidly. I mean, the regulation you're talking about was just talked about and drafted on Friday. Okay. We're what? Right. January wow. 25th, right? This is Wednesday. So it's the draft is five days, you know? So like we're all still kind of figuring this out. And yeah, the, the way it's structured, my understanding is, and I mean, don't quote me here because like I said, this is all still so new, but 
you know, they were talking about instituting certain certain criteria in order to, you know, like you said, evict a tenant for various reasons. Yeah. And that there would be, in a sense, a certain level of rent control regulation, even for non-rent controlled properties, i.e. single family homes, condos, properties built after 1978, which is the level at which I think it's August 1st, 1978, any building built before that is under the Los Angeles RSO rent stabilization ordinance. After that, it's not, but that could still be subject to the statewide rent control. You know, this is the thing is like, there's so many levels to this, right? There's your city, there's your county, there's your state. This is why we're getting so many calls, right? We're getting so many calls because it's so complex and it's so ever changing. So one of the exceptions to that rule, from my understanding, in terms of single family, is that still people have the right to own or occupy a house. So it's possible Mm -hmm. that people would still be able to use that rule. There's also supposedly in the draft regulations that I read anyways, is that there might be a six-month exception. So uh, where you might be able to still evict a tenant within the first six months. And my understanding is that that was a compromise, right? Because the original rule was that it was started from day one, and then other people at the city council wanted a year. So their compromise was six months. So I said to this landlord tenant attorney, I said, well, then are all leases just going to be six month leases? Because <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just, this is the what happens when you start to try to control these try to put these regulations in place people will figure it out people will figure out ways to kind of work around it and do something and and this is the problem i have with a lot of these rent control regulations because i find that they inadvertently or not and this is something I, i think has really not been discussed in the mainstream media which is that these regulations and these rent control things, everybody talks about the affordability crisis. And there is an affordability crisis in the city and greater Los Angeles. No doubt about this. But one of the major reasons is because of all these regulations, right? When you start throwing out all these regulations, people don't want to leave, right? They're just, they're scared, right? right? And so what happens is that you decrease the supply, there's less people moving. So therefore you don't have any, and then you need to pay 2,500 for a one bedroom just to get in because there's so little inventory out there. So I think this is something that really needs to be discussed, but, and it's an excellent point that you just brought up. Well, look, you're an investor as well. I mean, you do a lot of things, right? Property management investments. So you're an investor as well. You probably talk to a lot of investors who wants to own property in LA at this point. I mean, it just seems like anywhere is better. And I was, I'm a proponent (laughs) of LA. I love it here. I I own property here, but like they're Mm -hmm. just making it so hard. Right. How do you, how do you think about that? That That's an excellent question. It's a question I get all the time. And there are definitely a lot of folks who are selling their multifamily properties in LA. And that said, (laughs) and that said, I always bring up this example. So I'm personally originally from the Midwest. I'm from Kansas originally. And obviously, properties are more affordable there. You have higher cap rates. You have lower GRMs. We can talk about what those mean, but basically, you get better return. You have better cash flow. It's cheaper. There's no rent control. Why wouldn't you buy in an area like that? Well, I will say that I also had like 20 to 30% vacancy rates there. 
right? Whereas mm-hmm. in the city of Los Angeles, right. I never, never have <laughs> vacancy rates at that level. I'm yeah, lucky. You, I know it's so rare. It's very rare. <laughs> that's because you can't get any of that's because you can't get any of the tenants out. There's no vacancy because no one's leaving. No, but every time I every time I've seen him promote any vacancy, uh-huh. it's just gone it's within gone. like a week. I right. mean, it's everything gone. just flies. And so yeah. that's right. the thing is that the reason that people always invest here and keep investing here is because they know it's always, I would say, what do you want? Like you, you have to look at your goal. You're looking for cash flow or are you looking for appreciation, Right. If you invest out of state, I don't know. Obviously, every place is different. Real estate's all local, 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 right? So location, location, location. But like, I just know that properties that you buy here, generally speaking, you are looking at a decent rate of appreciation. And that's what a lot of the investors are looking for is that type of, because it's not just about the cash flow for a lot of them. Gosh, it's all so complex. I know. Yeah, I mean, it really is. I, I've seen Will like do speaking engagements and uh-huh. stuff like that. And I just, I can never retain all of it. It's just, it's so dense. And and to your point, that's why people are calling you because you have to become an expert in this stuff and keep up with it is just so tedious. I mean, you really have you, to be in it like you are. You could learn it. It, yeah, if I, I was in it, if I was in it, but or, like, or, or, it's, it's like my financial advisor. I'm like, I need a financial advisor you, because yeah. I still don't understand what my financial advisor does. That's right. why I need a financial advisor. You know, like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Just, I want to be rich later in life. Like, that's your <laughs> that's only what you job. Tell them, that's the instruction yeah, I'm you I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to just get by. I want to be a wealthy and, person and in goes, my old age. He goes, yes, ma'am. And he's like, well, we're going to have to start making some changes. And I'm like, no. <laughs> in your old age? <laughs> well, you know, when I retire, I don't want to retire. Poor, I want to retire uh, rich, rich if I can. You give me this guy's name. No. Um, <laughs> um, well, okay. So that's, that's, I think that's a good point, Sarah. So it's tough to be an agent out there right now. Transactions are low. It may be a tough you know, period of time. You run a networking group and a learning group. I think it's called the LA Multifamily Real Estate Networking Group. Yeah. Meetup. Meetup. Can we ask you for agents that, are not well-versed in multifamily, maybe they're single-family agents, what do you think they ought to do if they want to learn the multifamily market and maybe start transacting multifamily or other commercial deals? Uh, That's an excellent question. So definitely I would take advantage of any free education that you can find. I mean, I think, so I just, as you mentioned, I run a meetup group called Los Angeles Multifamily Real Estate Networking Group. We just passed 2,000 members. Uh, we've been running wow. it for wow. about seven, six or seven years. And it's become one of the most popular multifamily investment groups in the greater LA area. And I think one of the reasons it's become so popular is because we truly don't try to sell you anything. I think a lot of the real estate meetup groups, they're literally trying to sell you a deal. Oh, here's a multifamily, like 200 units in Texas, or you can buy into this mall in North (laughs) Carolina or whatever it is. You know, they've got some type of angle. Or Kansas. Or Kansas, whatever it is, which is totally fine. I I mean, God bless them, you know. Weird land in Kansas. (laughs) Our group, yes, exactly. Our group, literally is purely educational and networking. So every month we bring in a different speaker who talks about a different aspect of multifamily investing. It could be a property map. It could be landlord tenant. It could be 1031 exchanges. It could be foreclosures. It could be whatever. 
So last, just last week, we did our first meetup of the year. I always do a real estate investing 101 seminar to start the year, just to set expectations. And I always do the same exercise, which is I ask people, I teach people how to calculate a cap rate. And I teach people how to calculate a GRM, a gross rent multiplier. Because those, if you at least have those two tools, you can start to evaluate these multifamily properties. But that's just the beginning, right? In order for you to understand the multifamily landscape, as Sarah mentioned, you do have to like start understanding the market and knowing which markets you do. Because I can throw you a number for a cap rate, but it doesn't make it doesn't mean anything unless we're talking about where you're at and you know what the cap rates are in those areas. And so so I would say, yeah. you know, there are a lot of free resources out there. Bigger Pockets is one I hear about a lot. I'm actually going to start, you know, I have another realtor in, at the collective who wants to start doing some YouTube kind of tutorials with me to, to kind of teach folks about it. But yeah, join a meetup, join a start, start looking online. There's a lot of resources to learn, but it is complex. So because you're learning a business, yeah, right? It, it, and it is different than selling yeah. a single family you know, or condo. I, I, we do sell, I would say like three or four a year, we sell a condo or a single family. I'm actually have a condo listing as we speak, but generally speaking, the majority of our business is multifamily. And when I deal with residential agents, a lot of times they're a little bit lost. They're like, what's an estoppel? What's this? Oh, oh, it's not rent control. Oh wait, it is rent control. Like they don't, they're not totally aware. And so oftentimes I have to kind of step in and be like, okay, well, actually, (laughs) like, you know, you are under rent control because it was built there and we need an estoppel, which is a tenant certificate, which says exactly how much they're paying. Just simple things like that. But it's important because if you don't know these things, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then... What about on the investment side? You're obviously, I don't know how active you are, but you are certainly an investor. It sounds like in multifamily. What if somebody, what if agents want to start becoming investors, right? So um, maybe there'll be some better deals on some duplexes or triplexes or fourplex or multifamily deals and an agent wants to start investing. I imagine the advice would kind of be the same, learn everything you need. And then maybe you could talk about that. Maybe how someone might think about doing their first deal. Yeah, well, that's kind of how I got started. I uh, I did not start off as a agent or a broker or whatever. I got into this because I, I, I needed to buy something. You know, I moved to Los Angeles. I needed housing, like everybody. And I started looking to rent, didn't love what I saw. And I happened to own an investment property in the Midwest. And uh, we got an offer on it. And so I was like, oh, okay, we can do something called a 1031 exchange. I don't know how familiar your audience is with these, but like, it's basically a tax deferred exchange where if you sell a property, uh, investment real estate property for a certain price and you've made a gain, normally you would have to pay capital gains tax on that, right? However, the IRS has a particular rule called the 1031 exchange, which allows you to sell that property for your initial property for a gain. And then if you buy another property for the same amount or higher, they will allow you to defer that gain. Okay. And that's what I did. So I looked, I had an investment property in in the Midwest and I sold it and I bought something here. Now this is, this goes back actually to your last question about 
why invest in LA? So this is a good example. All right. So apples to apple. I, I had a 12 unit property in Kansas. Okay. I sold that property and I bought a four unit here. Okay. Two years later. Now this is admittedly like this was in 2003. If you remember that market in 2003, that was a huge, huge boom. Right. So two years later, we got an offer we couldn't refuse and we ended up selling and going back to Kansas. Now, I started with 12 units. Hmm. I sold those 12. I got a four in LA. I sold those four. I went back to Kansas. How many units did I end up buying? 16. You say 16. Sarah, how many? Things? I got confused when Mark was involved. Say, he said, um, uh, say I'm 20, say, 22. Um, 63. No, 22. <laughs> 22. 22. 22. Final okay. answer. So I got, <laughs> I got 16. I got 22. Okay. So once again, I started with 12. I bought four. I sold four. I went back to Kansas and I bought 54 units. Oh, you were closer oh. on your other answer. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So that gives you a and, sense. And crazy. That gives you a sense of like, yeah, it's insane. Right. I mean, and that's right, the power of appreciation the as Cal- well. That's the power of appreciation in California in, in Los Angeles mm-hmm. in particular. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I would say if you're going to start like, yeah, look for an investment property, like in a one to four unit, something that's residential, right. That's still considered residential one to four units. Uh, maybe you live in the unit. Maybe you buy a duplex and you live in one unit, you rent out the other, you get the sense of what it's like to be a landlord. Enjoy. And, um, you know, (laughs) and then this happens a lot. You start there, then maybe, then maybe you end up renting out the unit you're living in. You buy a house or go somewhere else. Then what a lot of people do is they'll refinance that property, pull out some equity and go buy another one. And you start to build that way. That's how I did it. You start, you start with one and then that grows. You start to build your, your equity. Then you pull that money out, you go buy another one and you keep doing it. It's funny because it's like everything for the first time is daunting. It seems daunting, right? Because you've never done it. But if you kind of think about it, let's say I was buying or Sarah was buying her first investment property, like that would seem overwhelming. But really, if she just talked to you for an hour and you laid out this, 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 and she could come to you as a mentor while she was doing it, I, I use you as an example. For free, for free. But you definitely, you wouldn't charge her for it because she's so sweet. But, well, um, Sarah, anyway, sure. Andy, that's, how he, that's how he runs his business. He, he runs it on goodwill. I think everything Will does is free, just for the audience. Use, um, no, but I'm saying to, to anyone that, that knows what they're doing, that have, have done it before, just seek that out. Yeah. And they will give you kind of most of the answers. Yeah, do you consult with people? Do you do consultation? Do you do property management for a fourplex if one of them is owner occupied? Like, how low will you go? <laughs> how low Sorry, will I, I go? That's it. <laughs> like, how small? How many units? How many no, we units? Have single, in, we have single like, units. We manage. We, there's a okay. condo. We'll do a condo. We'll do a single family. Sure. It's definitely not our preference, to be honest. Obviously, we we prefer right. multiple units, and and right. also. I always tell people because people ask us all the time, well, what do you think about investing in single units or, or single, single family? And this is my, this is what I always say. Okay. So let's say I, own you, Sarah, you own a single family and I own a duplex and we each have a vacancy, right? So, um, yeah. me, I still have 
50% income, right? Because I have one vacancy. I sold the other one that's being rented. You are dead in the water, (laughs) right? Because you own a single family. It's vacant. Not only are you, you're not nothing, you've still got expenses, right? You still got property tax. You still got insurance. You still have maintenance. You still have upkeep. So if you don't have anyone in there, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's why we actually always encourage people if they can, if they're thinking about it and they have the equity to frankly get as many units as possible. So same thing. You have a fourplex, right. you have one vacancy, you're 25% vacant. You have a 10plex and you have one vacancy, you have 10%. I have a 30 unit, okay? I have one vacancy. Can I not go out right. to eat? <laughs> right. But if you own a single yeah. family you and you not. have a single you... vacancy, then you can't go out to eat. Now, okay, so Will, that's a good, great point. Do you, what is your feeling about the fact that though, at least up until recently, at least your single family didn't have rent control and your multifamilies in LA did? Do you, do you give any credence to kind of that perspective? Well, once again, it depends on the type of building, right? Like I'm selling a nine plus mm-hmm. right now and it is not under LA rent control, right? It all mm-hmm. depends on the type of building you're looking for. So, and I'm often like a lot of people, like trying to look for ways to help my clients like kind of upgrade. So I'll give you an example. I did have a client who came to us actually initially for management. They owned a 10 unit and this was a a classic example. Family had owned this building for two generations. Okay. East Hollywood, 10 units, eight, one bedrooms, two, two bedrooms. Okay. Very standard dad who had inherited from his dad owned the building, self-managed, had not, how shall we say, maximized the value, right? So one bedrooms were averaging $600, okay? Wow. Yeah, wow wow is right, okay? Two bedrooms (laughs) were averaging $1,000. Now, do you guys happen to know what the average rental price is in East Hollywood for a one bedroom? A lot more than that. I'm going to say for one bedroom in East Hollywood now, I would say... You're not going to say like $60,000. No, like $2,100? That's pretty aggressive, <laughs> but oh, you might it? be able to get For it East if Hollywood. fully, if you fully do all the amenities, right? If we're talking yeah. like hardwood floor, washer dryer in unit, right. you know, Depends like on the condition. parking spot. Yeah. You could get 2,100. So that's, that's the, the high end. end. Okay. So that's let's say average say then 18, 18, 18 to two is what I would say, mm-hmm. but still okay. he's getting 600, right? So he's like right. 33% of market or less, right? Same with wow. on the two bedroom side, like two bedroom average, like 2,500 to 3,000, right? So what we did was we helped them sell that building and I got them into a fourplex. Now you might say, wait, that doesn't sound good. He's going from 10 units to four units. That doesn't sound good. But, but in this case, what we did was we took him from that, that 10 unit that was under market and rent controlled to a four unit that was not rent controlled. And the four right. units were all three bedroom units. So they actually Mm. kept the same number of bedrooms. Four times three is 12 Hmm. bedrooms. When you have eight one bedrooms and two two bedrooms, that's 12 bedrooms. And I always say, look at the Mm -hmm. number of bedrooms because number of bedrooms is, it is in movie theater language. Like it's about asses and seats, excuse me, butts and seats. It's like, it's butts Hmm. in beds. Those are paying tenants. <laughs> we, you should trademark that. Butts and beds. <laughs> Coming to I've a theater near you. I got a few of those. <laughs> okay. I have a little bit of curiosity yeah. about the uh, commercial markets, both sales and leases. 
because I've had some friends who are having a difficult time finding leases in commercial. So I'm just curious what the temperature is of the market with that. So could you be more specific about what type of commercial? Are we talking office? Are we talking retail? Are we talking industrial? Retail. Yeah, like retail. But I'm curious how much it all differs. It it differs a lot per market, right? So each market and each area differs, right? So the office market, my understanding is, is still kind of struggling because there's still a lot of people doing remote work, right? So the office market generally has not been as strong overall. The retail market's a bit stronger. I mean, now that the pandemic is quote unquote lifting and people are feeling more comfortable going, a lot of people want to get out. So I feel like you're seeing more on the retail side, uh, stronger stronger performance on the retail side. So there might be less vacancies on that front. Uh, industrial has been just killing it throughout the pandemic, right? Because I mean, mm-hmm. you need oh, you need warehouse yeah. space. You need you know Amazon's buying a ton of industrial. Like you know, there's just right. a lot of potential industrial. So each sector is slightly different depending yeah. on area and yeah, all those uh, sector. Interesting. What do you think will I know I'm asking you for a prognosis and a crystal ball, but what do you think, uh, my favorite question, what do you think it's going to be like in 2023 in multifamily, single family? What do you think the market's going to be like for us next year? This year? So I think, and we're starting to see it already, is that, okay, so what's happened, right? And I think this this is throughout like all real estate sectors, right? Is that there's been a, an adjustment in assumptions on both the buyer side and the selling side, right? So And I would say it's particularly for sellers right now. So sellers still live in a world where they're getting prices that they were getting six months ago or eight months ago. Those prices do not no longer exist, right? We Mm -hmm. we are in a new market. We're in a new world, right? I mean, six to eight months ago, interest rates were three, four percent. Now they're seven percent, six, seven, eight percent, right? And that just changes the math. And the issue yeah. is there's always this adjustment in this period, this equilibrium adjustment where like seller and buyer and buyers are now thinking, oh, I can get a deal. I can get it for super, super cheap. Well, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> you know, like, like I said, a lot of sellers will just say, no, I'm not going to sell. I'm just going to take it off the market. I'll wait till the market comes back. So it's not necessarily that you're going to be able to find the inventory at the, at the price that you want. So it's going to take a minute. Right. I think that that's what this year is about, is about that equilibrium starting to come together where the seller's expectations and the buyer's expectation finally meet, because it will eventually happen, right? It always does. Yeah. Like transactions will yeah, happen. 100%. Because eventually people need to sell or buy for various reasons. And they have been. So I mean, I they've been think, moving you know, slowly, but it's moving. It's moving. And we're starting to see it. Yeah. That was terrific. Yeah. That was a wonderful education. This is great. I think we're going to save TICs to talk about and have you on again, if you're open to that. Anytime. You are such a wealth of knowledge. I love you. Just let you me on. know. I'm happy to, happy to jump on anytime. Cool. Well, thanks so much thanks for, for joining us on, today, Will. Will. Any last words of advice for <laughs> realtors in the LA area? <laughs> Go get them, Tiger. Hang in there, Kitty. <laughs> yeah, hang in there. It's <laughs> a lot of pressure. Yeah, I mean, like like I said, it'll it'll eventually adjust. I mean, it, it's definitely crunch time for a lot of us. I think in this first and second quarter, we're all going to be kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. But we all know that those of us who have been through a few markets. We all know it shifts again, right? So, and even yeah. even the Fed has said, like, you know, we're not going to raise we're not going to raise them forever. We're, they're tapering right. already. So it's starting to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. starting to happen. 
So I think we just have to remember that like, this is actually now a normal interest rate environment. Like I bought my first condo in 2000 and I had an 8% interest rate and that was considered low at that time. Mm-hmm. You right. know, mm-hmm. I of think course. we just got yeah. spoiled for 10 years at, at yeah. 3 and 4% interest rates, yeah. sub five interest rates. And especially the pandemic years, people yeah. just got spoiled. So I'm sorry, but like uh-huh. party's over, <laughs> you know, we just got to party's gotta, over. Gotta, mom and dad, mom and dad are home. home. It's 2 a.m. Stop <laughs> yeah. drinking. You, you, you don't have yeah. to go home, but you can't stay here. All right. Well, All thank right. you, Will. That thank was awesome. You, Will. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for today's episode. I'm Paul with Great Builds. And I'm Sarah with Glen Oaks Escrow. And if you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If you'd like to get in touch, please email us at larealtorpod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.